Dwayne introduced you last week to uh, Paul's coming to Corinth. This is really just the continuation of the story, by the way. We've looked together at the resurrection of Christ, of the coming of the Holy Spirit. As the, as the Holy Spirit came, he sent the church out into the world. And at first, they were only reaching Jewish people. But uh, the Lord made it clear that, no, this is not... This is not the end. This is just the beginning. And out from the Jews, they went on to the Gentiles. And, of course, in the process, God raised up his great missionary, the Apostle Paul. So we're, we've really we've jumped a few spots, but we're still on the same story. And it was the Apostle Paul who came into Corinth in chapter 18 of Acts, that where Duane was with you last week. Corinth was really, at this time in history, the power city of... Greece. Many times you think of the great city of Greece as Athens. Well, Athens had sort of had its day about 200 years earlier. And by this time, the place where the money was concentrated, where the commerce was concentrated, where the arts were concentrated, where the sports were concentrated, and that's really sort of what happens with cities, isn't it? They became, they've become the magnets for all these very di- various dynamic kinds of things, and therefore attractive as well for the worst of stuff. Uh, Corinth was notorious for its prostitution, uh, for the kinds of stuff. I, actually, I just picked up a, one of those weekly city papers this week, um, and just to kind of catch up with what's happening on our... It just reminded me, you know, you go to the back pages of those city papers and you realize, come to Philadelphia for anything you want, right? Escort services, uh, you know, straight or bi or uh, homosexual, anything. It's all here. This is the city. Well, Corinth was really not much different than that kind of... of, um, culture. And Paul hit the city, did what he usually did, which is to go to the Jewish people first. And when the Jews heard the gospel, they threw him out. A few were believing, but he went on to work among the Gentile people. And slowly he was gathering up a, 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 a small congregation. But I also think Paul was saying, you know, I'm just about ready to split this place. And, and typically, if he wasn't wanted, he'd move on and go to where the door would open for him. And so the Lord had to come to him in a vision and say, no, Paul, you need to stick around. Uh, you, you have a few people right now that you can see, but I have many people in this city. I love that phrase. Stay, preach the gospel, open the doors, and you will see people come to Christ. And in fact, Paul stayed for a year and a half But then you have, through the rest of the New Testament, the stories of Paul continuing to come back, to try to stamp out fires, to argue with the people. Money was a huge thing with the Corinthians. And uh, Paul, you'll notice as we go along, would not take a nickel from these Corinthians. Other people could support him as a missionary. That that raising missionary support was part of Paul's Paul's life uh, as it is today. But Paul could make tents. Uh, literally is what he said he did. And so he said, you know, you know I, I don't need any money from you people. Because he knew kind of where their motives were. They're, they had the money. They had the, uh, the leadership and the intelligence. But, but there was always this kind of battle going on between Paul and the Corinthians. Quite a fascinating study. In fact, if you'll go back to the text, I, I'm not going to go into detail with this, but I want you just to read through with me. Sarah just read it a moment ago. But starting with verse 10, 
of chapter 1, uh, just as a way of sort of getting a taste of the kind of um, uh, issues that were, that were developing between Paul and this Corinthian church. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind, in the same judgment. Should you have to tell Christian people this? Well, he was having to tell it to, to these folks. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. Now, later in the book, when you read, I think when you get to chapter 7, uh, Paul begins the chapter by saying, now about the things you wrote, wrote to me about. And so they had sent Paul kind of a, a checklist of, of things that they were uh, arguing out above, among themselves. Uh, they, they were, because they'd been so kind of messed up in their, in their sexual lives, they wanted to try to get that straightened out. What happens if you're married to someone who's, who's not a believer? And, and all sorts of nutty stuff that was going on. Well, it was on their list. They were arguing apparently over what role women should have when they lead worship. It wasn't a question, should they lead worship? But, you know, the head coverings and all of that kind of stuff. They were bickering together about how you use spiritual gifts. Uh, They were fascinated with gifts of tongues. Everybody wanted to speak in tongues. This is the kind of stuff, you see, that they were battling about. But Paul says, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You know what? The most serious issues you folks have, you don't even know. You can't even see it. But Chloe's folks have told me that you're quarreling among yourselves over who's your favorite preacher. And you're taking sides. See, see how that breaks out? And, and again, he'll, he'll tell us, we'll see this later on. But what I mean is, I'm reading verse 12, each one of you says, I follow Paul. Or... I follow Apollos. Now, Apollos is a man who had shown up. It's recorded in chapter 19 of Acts. He was apparently a very eloquent, gifted preacher who had had come into Corinth after Paul left. And Aquila and Priscilla, this wonderful couple that Paul worked with, had kind of helped him understand, uh, you know, what the faith was all about. But he just caught it and got it, and he was very good up front. And so now folks were saying, oh, man, Paul, nothing. Apollos, he's our man. Well, um, actually, Apollos, when you put the pieces together, had gotten out of the town. He said, I don't want anything to do with this. And he wouldn't go back again. He was sort of fed up with the way this stuff was going on. Well, but there's another group. I follow Cephas. Cephas is another name for Peter. So maybe these were the Jewish believers in the church. You know, he's our guy. But others say, I follow Christ. Now, at least the way Paul quotes it, it's almost like these are the people who said, oh, you know, I'm not, I hear this all the time. Denominations, I, I'm above all that. I don't, I don't believe in denominations. I don't believe in theology. I don't believe in, I just believe in Jesus. And that sort of marks you out as somebody superior spiritually. I think that was the sense that was going on here. Well, Paul says, come on, give me a break. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? And so forth. The end result, my friends, is that you are effectively canceling out the message of the cross. And that's where, kind of, that's where Dwayne's going to take you next week when we continue in the passage.
But you don't even see this about yourselves. You think this is perfectly normal. This is the way church functions, to bicker and argue and take sides and who's the big guy. And you can't even see it. To me, that's the, that's the greater sin that Paul is talking about. Well, this, this is just a little sampler of, of wonderful things to come as we get into the book of 1 Corinthians. However, look with me at the first part of the book, of the chapter, excuse me. Because that really is in stark contrast to what we just read. And again, let me just read through uh, those verses in the first part of the passage. Follow with me, please. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that as is at Corinth. This is how Paul described them. It was the church of God. To those sanctified in Christ Jesus... Now, the word sanctify really means simply set apart for God. In the Old Testament, if you were going to have a sacrifice that you were going to offer at the temple, you'd set it apart first. That was, you sanctified the offering. That's the idea. You've been set apart in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, together with all those who every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we're just part of a greater movement of God. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, I give thanks to God always because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched by him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, it was clear that God had worked in your hearts and you've been changed and transformed and, and that witness has been borne by others. So that, verse 7, you are not lacking in any spiritual gift. You folks have it all as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ who will sustain you to the end, guiltless, In the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now that seems to be in total contrast to those verses that I first read to you about their splitting up and dividing and arguing and all of these things. So the title of the sermon that I had for this morning is, Will the Real Church of Corinth Please Stand Up? On the one hand, this beautiful picture of the church of God with all spiritual gifts, standing guiltless before God in the day of judgment. God has called you into fellowship with his Son. Is that the real church? Or... Is it these people who are scrapping and arguing and dividing into factions? Is that the real church? Is Paul just kind of being nice and flowery and complimentary to set them up, to punch them in the face with what their real problem is? What is the real church of Corinth? That's my question this morning. Which which of these two pictures represents the church of Corinth? Because obviously I can say the same thing. Which of these two pictures represents the church of liberty? Will the real church of liberty... Please stand up. Which of the two? Should we take a vote?
Well, if you see where I'm pushing with this thing, you know what? What's the answer? Which is the true church of Corinth? Both of them. Both of them. That's the crazy thing, isn't it? You can open the Bible and see how God sees us. Or you, can, or you can kind of look at the way you and I are living and see almost a completely different picture. That's, a, that's the paradox, isn't it, of, of, of the new life that we have in Christ. And what do we do with it? That's kind of really just all I want to put before you this morning. What do we do with this dual, dual stuff that goes on? And I want to say to you that I think fundamentally, and this is why Paul put it first, fundamentally we need to embrace what God says about us. Even though we don't necessarily feel it, we usually don't. And we feel like, boy, if it comes to what the Christian life is all about, I am a mess up. I don't want to tell you, you know, that I have all spiritual gifts, that I'm enriched, that I'm Perfect fellowship with Jesus Christ, not even close. Well, the fact of the matter is, though, that is precisely the way in which the people of God are described in the Scripture. The, the, the text that I want to make sure that you go home with is verse 9. God is faithful by whom you were called, and the word you there can be taken as either you personally or you in the sense of you, the community, by whom you were called into, into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is, my friend, how God sees his people. Well, those of you particularly with open Bibles, we're going to come back to that verse, but but the, the great contrast, I think, is laid out beautifully later in chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians. Let me just take a minute and have you look with me at that, if, if you can, or listen carefully as I read this passage. Because here's where Paul sets the two pictures, uh, one against the other. He's actually uh, chiding the church for taking one another to court, which is one of the problems that they were facing, that they felt like they could settle... Christian issues before a secular judge. Sue them, sue them. What's new, right? That's the way you solve all problems. Sue them. And Paul said, you, you people, what are you doing? You don't even belong to that world anymore. And here's where he breaks in with verse 9. Do you not know, listen to this, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived Neither the sexually immoral, which is the word fornication, neither the fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. It's quite a list. But... Quite frankly, I know it's not very politically correct, but this is a description of the road to hell. Would you agree? Now, 
the point of this is not simply to kind of lay out all of this, uh, all of these various practices. The point is verse 11. And such were some of you. That's beautiful. That's what he's trying to say. Folks, you don't belong to that world anymore. You are not on that path. Because God has broken into your life and put you on a different path. And such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Now, does that mean these people, and by the way, it does say such were some of you. I mean, not everyone has sort of waded through the swamp and gone through all the garbage that they possibly could. But that's where some of you were. But for all of us, God has reached out by his grace in the power of the Holy Spirit and put you on a new path. So the teaching of the Bible is not, you ought to be different. Shape up. Stop doing all those bad things. The message of of the New Testament is you have been put in a different place in your life. You are different people. Why in the world are you still living that old junk? It's not you anymore. So Paul is not suggesting for a moment that a person who is on that path of drunkenness or promiscuity or whatever, just in the flash of a moment is now, it's all gone. It's finished. Yeah, there are going to be struggles and trials and tribulations. But the fact of the matter is, you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified. That's what the scripture says. And we need to believe that, if in fact that's true for us. I'm not presuming for a moment, by the way, just because you show up in church, that you really know what I'm talking about in your heart. But if you have been a... what. The phrase we use is born again. If you have been born again, it means that God has broken into your life, broken into your heart, and put you on a new path. That's the kind of change you and I can't do. And this verse does not say they saw the light. They finally got their act together. They finally realized the error of their ways. No, you were washed. Something happened to you. You were sanctified. You were justified. And that really comes together in the phrase that we're looking at over in chapter 1. When the word says, you were called. That word's going to come up again next week. You were called. It's not just calling in the sense of, hey, yo, Come over this way. I'll tell you the great picture of being called. It's the story of Lazarus. You know who Lazarus was? He was actually a friend of Jesus. There were two sisters that kind of were around Jesus, Mary and Martha, and they had a brother named Lazarus. And the story is Lazarus died. And Jesus was off somewhere else. And the message came that Lazarus had died... And Jesus waited two more days. And then he said, let's go to Lazarus. And the 
the disciples will all say, this is nuts. Because that's going back to Jerusalem. And they said, you know you're going to get in trouble and the man's dead. But he went anyway. He said, let's go. And uh, it's a wonderful story. I won't go into all of the details. But in the end, Jesus walks up to the tomb, really a, a cave. And he says, Lazarus, come forth. What is that? That's the call of God, right? Now, Lazarus is dead. But what happened? He came forth, right? Why? Because, friends, it was Jesus calling. And when Jesus calls, there's the power of God to make it happen. And when Jesus calls you and says, come, we come. I don't know what your story is, because all of our stories are different. It may have taken you six months or six years or 16 years or six minutes. But when you heard the call of Jesus, and it comes to you through the gospel, but not just the words of the gospel, the power of the gospel breaks into your life. And when the call of God comes, you come. Because something has happened inside, you see? And it's a change that only God can do. And so when Lazarus comes out of the tomb, it's because God has made him alive. He was dead. But how does he come, by the way? Sort of picture him like this, you know, and and he smells. He's wrapped with grave clothes. Because Jesus says to other people, take off the grave clothes. Now, folks, that's, what, that's a lovely picture of what church is all about. To find a bunch of stinky sinners still wrapped in the junk and the grave clothes. And our job, and maybe somebody's taken, because somebody else has helped us take off the junk and the grave clothes, is to help them, to stand alongside them. All of which is to say to you, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, Just simply putting before you verse 9, God is faithful. God's the one doing this by whom you were called into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ. And that is the picture Paul wants those Corinthians to embrace. And then begin to grow up into who God says they are and what God has done for them. Stop being babies. Stop wallowing around in that junk. It's just not you anymore. Not that you're not going to struggle, but I, again, I've had people who've, who've been genuinely changed by God. They'll say, you know, I still enjoy a beer. Uh, I, I, I love my wine. But i got to tell you, something's happened. Because I can't have any fun celebrating being drunk anymore. Isn't Isn't that a radical difference in the culture? To sit around the office and just laugh together about how drunk we got. And there's something inside of you that says, it's not me anymore. Sexual conduct. Again, I've sat with people 
to say that all promiscuity just disappears because you come to Christ. Well, I wish it happened, but it doesn't necessarily. But at the same time, people say, it's just not the same anymore. Something's happened to me. And friend, that's the change we're talking about. I don't, I'm, so I'm not here to wag my finger and say, you shape up, you be better. I'm saying, if God has called you, in the sense in which we've seen biblically, you're not the same person anymore. And the mission now that you have is to simply begin to live, not simply, it's not simple, but to, be, but to live out, to grow up in terms of who you are in Christ. And the, just to add to that picture, one, one other thought, and that's simply that when people are called into fellowship with Jesus Christ, as you are drawn to Christ, lo and behold, what, what do you find out? There's other people being drawn in too. And as that circle gets smaller and smaller, you begin to find that I'm not only in fellowship with Jesus Christ, but I'm in fellowship with those who also are in fellowship with Jesus Christ. That's the church, isn't it? Not a bunch of people that like to hang out together because they all go to college somewhere or buddies or they bumped into each other. That, that all, that's fine. That all comes. But the, the essence of the church is a gathering of those who have been called into fellowship with Jesus Christ, who by the very nature of that call are also called to be with one another. Because what we share more than anything else is Jesus and the call of Jesus in our lives. That's the starting point. We're not going to deal with any of the issues that are raised as we go through this book unless we start by saying, what I embrace is my, my sense of identity, my sense of belonging to Jesus. That's more important to me than anything else. And I gladly confess that. And will you help me? I need to grow up. But here's the starting point, not with I've got I to gotta be a better person, but I am a different person because God has made me alive. And when we come now to the communion, that's really what you're confessing, okay? If that is your confession, you're not here to brag about how great you are, but I do believe in Jesus Christ. He is my hope. He's the anchor for wherever I'm going in my life. And I'm happy. I'm I, I'm thrilled to be able to confess that, inadequate, as unworthy as I feel. That's what communion is, folks. It has many, many meanings, but that's one of them. And if it's your choice this morning to stand up and, and join these folks at the front and take the bread and the wine, it's a way of, of kind of re-embracing Jesus as the heart and center and soul of all that you are. I invite you to do that this morning. And then as you come... Look around, because it's not simply you and Jesus, is it? You are coming together as the community of believers. I love this part of our service, when not only do I have the privilege of, of taking the Lord's Supper, but I, I always look around. I want you to do that this morning and say, we're, we're doing this together. And, and may... By God's grace, that be a symbol of how we live, that we are here for each other, to support each other. We've all got 
grave clothes and we all kind of smell of the junk, whether we've been through the awful life or whoever we are, we're all at the same place of needing the grace of God to continue to cleanse us. And so as you take the communion this morning as a testimony of your personal faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, also look around and say, we're here together. We're in fellowship with one another as well as with the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the heart and soul of what the church is all about. Let's pray.